Welcome to E to the Power of Three, a podcast of Bridging the Gap, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from speaker, author, founder, and president of Celebrate Kids, Inc., and co-founder of Ignite the Family, Dr. Kathy Cook, as she has a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, they will be discussing practical support for children and families, including how to help engage children with faith and ways to encourage and provide tools for children going through challenging moments. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, welcome, Dr. Kathy, to the podcast. I am so excited and honored to be sitting with you today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, and you are at the Equip Conference. Here we are at Cedar Valley. You're one of our keynote speakers. Yes. Is it your first time at the Equip Conference? It is. I've done the um, Children's Pastors Conference for Mm -hmm. the district before. That was four years ago, and that was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Great experience. Mm -hmm. I have memories still even though it was four years ago. And then two years ago, I did something over Zoom mm-hmm. for the children's pastors, mm-hmm. which, you know, during the COVID crisis, yeah. and that was a delight. But to be here this weekend and to be able to minister to everyone, yeah. what a privilege for me. I, the volunteers, as well as the staff members mm-hmm. of the churches, I think that it's cool that the conference has both both ends, right? Not yeah. just the paid staff. But yeah. if you work with kids, teens, adults in your church, come, be blessed. And I just, I don't know about you, but I love conferences. Just like people all being together, we're all learning. We have a breakout session and I get real, real giddy uh-huh. <laughs> about conferences. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's fabulous because we should be teachable, right? Mm-hmm. We should, you know, we hopefully we gain ground and we develop expertise and we, mm-hmm. we find things get easier in our ministry, but people are chaotic. Let's just admit that. Yeah. Or people are crazy crazy and culture's <laughs> chaotic, however you want to say that. People are messy, I sometimes say, and that's mm-hmm. not a slam on anybody in particular. It's just reality. Yeah. So let's be fed and let's learn what we need to yeah. learn for the next season. And the fellowship, just walking around today yes. and just watching the joy in the room. And I just had dinner with the children's pastors and what a great group. And mm-hmm. they just loved on each other so well. And some of them are from rural spots where I think they're pretty far removed from other colleagues. And mm-hmm. it was just fun for them to be able to be present in that space. So I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Well, we are honored to have you just overall in general. I can speak for all of the Equip Conference <laughs> when I say that, but especially to join me today as we're just talking through more of the great stuff that you have been teaching and talking about kids and family, education, all that good stuff. So uh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself, who you are, some of the things you dabble in, and then we'll get started. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Kathy Cook, I like to say that it's um, pronounced Cook, but it's spelled K-O-C-H. So if somebody wants to Google my name, it's <laughs> (laughs) a great spelling lesson. And uh, as I said earlier today, I used to teach second graders and they worked so hard to know how to spell my name only in time for the word cook to be a spelling word. Like I'm going to cook with my mom. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And then they're all thrown. Yeah. And I just let them spell it my way and I marked it right. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. ridiculous. So I'm a former teacher, coach, school board member and professor. Thought I would do each of those really forever, really seeking the Lord's best for how he had created me. And I just wanted to work more with parents because the Bible makes it really clear that parents are Mm. and always will be a child's first and foremost, most important teacher, but they're undertrained, right? You're taught how to give birth, diaper, (laughs) feed, bathe, and they send you home and, you know, raise this little human. So I felt like it was appropriate to begin to maybe look into some parent ministry, but I'm not a parent. I'm single. I'm very satisfied, not married, not a parent, traveled. I've been to 30 countries to tell people how to parent their children. (laughs) 
But I do it through um, best practices. I do it through what the scripture would teach us and what, if mm. you will, the research would demonstrate mm -hmm. rather than saying, do it my way. Mm. You know, I'm able to say, here are some things for you to consider. So the Lord, I think, has been really faithful in that. So um, we are a ministry that equips parents to love and like their children well. We want you to develop their gifts and help the kids use those mm. gifts for good and not evil mm. because we believe that most of the evil done in the world is done by smart people. Hmm. who use their talents in evil ways. And that's very easy, even for Christ followers, to get warped and deceived yeah. and to start yeah. you know, using their talent in a less than great way. I'm actually going to talk about that in one of my messages tomorrow at the hmm. conference. So passionate that you would raise the kids you were given, not the kids you wish you had. I love that. Um, and I think that's powerful. Thank you. And then we work with teachers and schools and a lot of homeschool families. We do a lot of pro-life work because we believe that that community is frontline for the gospel and needs to be supported. I'm an author of several books with Moody Publishers, which I'm pleased to be a part of the Moody family. So I write, <laughs> we blog, we podcast, we, mm -hmm. we just want to mm -hmm. serve the family first and foremost. And it's a privilege that anybody would listen to me. I'm so grateful. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I laugh because just the Moody family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moody. It's like I'm with Moody Publishing where yeah. we're a little emotional no, over there. No, yeah. no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Well, you yeah. are a busy person. That is for sure. Well, but it's true. And your you know, passion me, radiates from well, you. Well, I appreciate that. You know, let me back up and say that my passion is for the family. And mm -hmm. that's partly because I come from a great family. Mm -hmm. My parents were not believers. We were raised in church. We went to church when the doors were open. I have vivid memories of my childhood, um, church camp, Sunday school. I began teaching Sunday school when I was a junior in high school that really felt already called. I would not have used that word back in the day. I was not saved. And it's a, it's a great story what the Lord did in my life. But, the, but I think to come from a great family, I want that for others. And I'm so sad for dysfunction and for the despair that exists and the reality that a lot of our families are living with. Mm -hmm. So I come from, again, not brokenness, but wholeness. And I want other people to be able to move from brokenness to wholeness and celebrate the multi-generational family. Mm -hmm. You know, God ordained the family before he ordained the church. Mm. And we should take it seriously. Mm. And that's, you know, praise God for the women's ministry, because again, yeah. you're equipping women to be healthy women. Yeah. And then if they're married, healthier wives, if their parents, healthier moms and grandmothers, if they're single, they hopefully learn to be content in their singleness. So mm -hmm. what you're doing, you know, in your ministry is really important. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, when, when I was coming up with questions and what we're going to talk about today, was really excited for this conversation because I always get a little bit more um, <laughs> excited when this, the conversation we're having also pertains to my life because then I feel <laughs> like I'm learning something as we talk while I facilitate this, but also because then I just have another, a little layer of passion in it too. But when we're talking, I really want to sit and kind of talk about families today and kids and how we're encouraging our kids and who becoming these young adults and how do you have a Christ-centered home and all of these things. And I told you earlier, I have a 17-month-old and, and I'm sitting here now, and especially the last two years, I'm like, I do not know how to raise this kid. <laughs> I don't know what to do for their schooling. I'm terrified mm -hmm. to send them to school. I don't know, you know, this, that, and then some. And I think a lot of parents can relate to that. A lot of moms mm -hmm. are like, hey, I have this assignment to be a parent. There is no textbook right. <laughs> to how to do it. The Bible. Yes, that is uh, true. There is one book yeah. that is truth and a lot of other books that tell you different things. And so I think that 
there's a lot of different opinions on raising kids. Right. It's, it's a really difficult topic. Everyone's going to believe something different. And I would love to just hear your philosophy on how do we encourage parents in raising their kids and helping them to grow in their identities, their specific personalities. Like you said, no kid is the same. And right. we have to honor the kid that we have, and especially in a Christ-centered home. Right. Right. No, I really appreciate the passion. And I appreciate the question for sure. Uh, let me tell you a story. I was um, teaching with Summit Ministries, which I do um, every summer. And uh, just a year ago, I was with uh, a couple of hundred uh, 18, uh, 19, 20 year olds. And an 18 year old came up to me and she waited until the very last, she was the last student left at midnight to ask me this question. And what she said, I was raised by good people who are not Christians. And she said, my parents now know the Lord and I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, but I was not raised in a Christian home. And she's not dating anyone, but she said to me, when I parent, how will I parent differently as a Christian? Mm. And she was 18 and not wow. even dating That's and already thinking about, will my faith affect? I know my faith has saved me from hell. Mm -hmm. And I know that the love of God compels me. I mean, she was mature, but she said, you know, I want to know how does a Christian parent differently? And I was dumbstruck by that, my friend, because mm -hmm. there are Christian parents who are not asking yeah. that question. Yeah. And the Bible is the instruction manual, if you will. Mm -hmm. I know that it, it, won't, it won't tell you, you know, which preschool to enroll your kid in or what college they should go to or you know, which brand of you know, crib to buy for them. However, the wisdom is there relationally, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, socially. It is there. We can read Proverbs. We can look for the one another's of the New Testament. We can look at the example of Jesus and how he prioritized children mm. when they were the forgotten generation. I'm yeah. actually going to mention that in a message here at the Equip Conference. The children were forgotten. They were swept under the rug, if you will. But Jesus, busier than we will ever be with a more important agenda than we will ever have, mm. said, let the little children come to me. Yeah. I mean, that's compelling. So if you want to parent well in a Christ-centered home, let them come to you. And and I mean it, you know, leave the dirty dishes in the sink and you can let, you know, play that back for your family and let them know that, <laughs> you know, somebody has to do them. I'm not saying that you, you know, you have a messy home. However, we put the family first and we work together to clean, if you will. And, and that's, that's a whole other message. But we know our kids and we believe they were created by an intentional God on purpose. And that's warts and all. We like our kids. One of the things that children tell me is, my parents love me, they have to, they don't have a choice. Mm. They say that in one way or another. And then sometimes with tears, they'll say, I wish they liked me. Mm. I know. Oh, it just breaks your heart. I know, and, and I'll be honest, like when I taught second graders, like I, I was really grateful that there was no Bible verse that said I had to like them all. <laughs> you know, I was familiar with the concept yeah. that I had to love them and happy, obviously I was happy to do that. And I was in a public school. But, you know, the kids will say things to me like, you know, I don't think my dad really wants to play checkers. He never asks me to play. He never initiates would mm -hmm. be the concept. And, I, and I'm not sure he really likes me. It's kind of like he has to pay attention to me. Now, I get that, you know, to the listeners who are busy and, you know, you, you guys have chosen to have, you know, one or more kids. And it's, it's tough today. It is, it is not easy. But I'm just saying as an expert here, I love them unconditionally. Um, don't make them perform for you. Um, work to mm -hmm. like them. Mm -hmm. Find something about each of your children. Do not parent the herd, parent the individuals. Mm. Find something that you can connect to. You're not going to have, you know, they're created in God's image, not yours. Mm. And so you're not necessarily going to have everything in common. That would actually be somewhat difficult, I think, you know, at one level. Um, let them struggle. 
Now that's an unpopular topic nowadays, right? We've got the bubble wrapping, we've got the lawnmower parent who mows down anybody who's in their kid's way, the helicopter mm -hmm. parent who mm -hmm. hovers, you know, lest my child suffer, I'm gonna rescue. Yep. However, let me say respectfully that the scripture's very clear that in the struggle we grow up, right? Yep. In the struggle our character matures and our faith deepens. And when I'm in front of a live audience, and I, and I might even do this tomorrow afternoon here at the conference, and I ask people, hey, raise your hand please if you've benefited from any struggle God's allowed you to experience. And very quickly hands go up. Mm -hmm. Because those of us who have lived long enough, we know looking back that that's why we know we can trust God. Mm because we walked in a hard place and God was there. Mm -hmm. That's how we know if we fall down, we can step back up because we have fallen down and then we allowed God and his people to raise us up. Mm -hmm. If you bubble wrap your kids and if they do a U-turn at the beginning of every valley, they're not gonna be mature. So then mm -hmm. why are they dropping out of church, faith, school, jobs, marriages? Maybe because we rescued them prematurely from opportunities that where they could have learned the character of perseverance and teachability and diligence. Mm -hmm. And before I, I turn it back to you, there's a lot more I, I can say, but let me turn it back to you. But before I do, I want to say this to anybody who's listening to us, we're not saying in any of this to make anyone feel bad for mm -mm. what they did today or yesterday. You were not responsible for this insight yesterday. So if you've bubble wrapped your kids and helicoptered them, you love them. Mm -hmm. So we're not blaming or shaming you at all. That's not our intent. However, I was asked a question. What do I think are the best practices, you know, for kids in a Christ-like home or Christ-centered home? And I have to say that we need to let them learn to grow up in the safety of our home mm -hmm. so that when they launch and fall down, and they will, they don't panic and they don't die under the weight of that mistake or that failure experience. Yeah. So don't feel bad for yesterday. Have hope for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to agree with us, that you start to parent differently because of that. As a single mom, we know you face a lot of challenges. It's exhausting. We want to give you a weekend to relax, be refreshed, and have fun at the Single Moms Retreat. You'll be inspired by amazing speakers and powerful worship and connected to other women who know exactly what you're going through. Enjoy free giveaways and activities, including Diva Boutique shopping, a spa, car care, and the girls' night out. The Single Moms Retreat is June 3rd and 4th at Lake Geneva Christian Center in Alexandria. Learn more about attending or volunteering at mnbtg.org slash retreat. No, I completely agree with everything you said. That was actually something I really wanted to spend time talking about today. So I'm a licensed social worker. I've spent uh, my um, career working in adoption and foster care. A oh, lot of it. Thank you. It's been it's, it's such a rewarding, but the most challenging years of my life. And um, one of the things I do is I actually taught the families coming in for the state of Minnesota on attachment and trauma and grief mm. and loss. And through that education and me teaching all of that just really became more aware of what that impact does look like when we don't have that support system on it. Like what it actually does to the brain. I won't get into that today. Right. But when you actually look at the brain when you don't have a supportive person. And over the last couple of years, I've really been monitoring just the depression and anxiety between young kids yeah. just spiked. And I a lot of that I feel has to do with 
we have a younger generation of parents now that are like, I felt like I wasn't supported enough by my parents. So I'm going to do the opposite. Yes. I'm going to make sure my kids don't go through hard things. Yeah. I don't want to see them hurt. And exactly what you're talking about is the helicopter and you know the snowplow to make sure that they don't go through those hard things. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with you. They have to, mm -hmm. or else they are. Anytime they come to a challenging situation, they're going to quit or they're not going to understand how to navigate the conflict. So they're just going to kind of isolate themselves. And we have to figure out how to do that. So I would love to, I know you just talked about it a little bit, but here you share more of like, what are practical things that we can be doing to sit with our kids in those hard seasons? Of course, if there's really scary, like bad bullying, bad dangerous right. situations, get them out, of course. Right. But how do we sit through a hard conflict they have with a friend or a tough you know, activity that they're going through that they're finding a challenge in? What can we do as parents to be practically encouraging them through those moments? <clears throat> Great question. <laughs> the, the first thing I'll say, and I, and I mean it, you know, we could talk for an hour. The first thing I'll say is feel their pain before you try to solve their problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kids tell us that if we don't engage with them emotionally and we immediately, have you tried this? Mm. Well, who else was there? Well, did you start it? Well, what did you do next? Mm -hmm. Now, those are legit. Again, we understand that as the mom, grandmother, whomever, you're trying to problem solve to prevent pain and to find out if your child was responsible and is there a consequence? Like I get and I honor all that. But they don't feel seen in that, right? Mm -hmm. What they say to me is, Dutch Kathy, I feel, in their words, they say, I feel like a project they're trying to finish mm -hmm. or a problem they're trying to solve. So the first thing I need to say if your child is hurting is you hug. You caress, you love, you listen, you wait, and you feel the weight of a different mm. piece of weight. You you feel the weight of what's going on, and then depending upon the age of the child, you invite the conversation. You know, would you do you want some ideas? Do you do you want to tell me the story about what happened? And you actually might give permission to when is the safe time. They're not going to want to talk in front of a sister. Mm -mm, they may yeah. not want to talk in front of even both parents because they might have a different relationship with the mom and the dad. Might feel like a two against one kind of a thing. Um, I'm a huge believer in talking in the dark. A lot of kids mm. tell us that they don't want to listen. They don't want to talk. They don't want to cause pain and see it on your face. Mm. They don't want to remember the look in your eyes when they scared you or when they hurt wow. you or when okay. they disappointed yeah. you. So bedtime put the kid to bed, hang out at the door, even lay down with your younger kids. If you've got high school kids, walk, you know, be in the hallway conveniently at about the time that they might be closing down for the day and and just be available to them. You know, the technology is always available. We have got to work harder at being available so that they come to us when their heart is hurting. So mm -hmm. that the first thing I would say is, you know, feel their pain, don't be afraid of that. Um, do have a conversation possibly in the dark. Kids also tell me they love talking in the car because we can't mm -hmm. go anywhere when the conversation is hard. And of course, they can't either. And again, they cannot make long eye contact. Yeah, so they I was feel say safe. eye contact. Mm -hmm. They feel safe. They're walking. Boys always talk more doing something than just sitting at the table. Girls can kind of handle the kitchen table <laughs> interrogation. Yeah. Boys prefer, you know, emptying the dishwasher, sweeping out the garage, building a model, a jigsaw puzzle, walking the halls of a store and wait and your kid will feel the, feel the silence with, hey, dad, or hey, mom, you know, I was thinking about something. So I think um, those are things that we have seen be really effective. And then I, I want to say, I'll say two other things quickly. Don't ask if they're depressed. Now, we'll see what you think of this as a social worker. Um, we're concerned, right, about anxiety and stress and dysfunction and isolation and all that, and I get that. 
But we ask a child, are you depressed? They don't know if they are. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know about you. Like, you're trained, and I'm somewhat trained, but I'm not sure on a day-to-day basis if what I'm feeling is depression. Is it a lack of focus? Is it fatigue? Mm-hmm. Am I concerned about a friend, and therefore it looks like depression? So we don't ask, are you depressed or anxious or stressed? Because they don't know. Mm-hmm. Now they're more stressed because they don't <laughs> have the answer to the question mommy asked. Mm-hmm. And they know it's negative, so now they're additionally stressed, Mm -hmm, right? So mm -hmm. my recommendation is when you see a child who's struggling and maybe isn't um, overcoming trauma well and you really wish you would have bubble wrapped because they're still down in the valley, rather than saying what's wrong and they don't know, wait for evidence that suggests that something's wrong. So if you have an older kid who typically plays nicely with a younger child, and it doesn't work well that night, you say, hey, Sarah, normally you're really kind to Lisa when you're tra- teaching her a new mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. And we, we have told you how much we appreciate your kindness, your compassionate, you understand she's younger and she doesn't catch on as quickly, but that's not the case tonight. Like tonight mm-hmm. you were pretty quickly and you were impatient and we watched her cry. Mm-hmm. And what's up with that? So just put it out there. Like we noticed your behavior because mm-hmm. behavior doesn't lie. Something observable, right? So we noticed this and therefore we're asking what happened or what's up with that or, you know, can we, can we talk about that? Because something happened that triggered behavior and that's what you want to get at. Yeah. No, Does that make I, sense? absolutely. No, cool. I think that's a great explanation. I think it is. It's really important too. what you mentioned of don't always necessarily put the words in their mouth is let them get there themselves. Yes. And how do you ask those conversations of just like you said, I noticed this today. Where, what did that come from? Yeah. Instead of saying you are acting disrespectful, you're acting overwhelmed uh-huh. because you're putting <laughs> that on them instead of sometimes kids like to figure it out themselves. And it's mm-hmm. more beneficial because it's going back to they're working through those emotions and you're sitting there with them. As they go through it. That's so good. And, and no, it's, I, I love that. And then I'll say one other thing kind of related to your overall question at the beginning that um, hopefully people will agree with. And if not, that's okay. Um, when I, when I, I just wrote a book about resiliency. So mm-hmm. I just wrote a book about this whole idea that we need to train children in the art of struggle. Mm-hmm. We need to allow them to be disappointed and to learn how to, on their own, move from disappointed to content and satisfied and you know, whatever might be going on. Now there's a process and obviously there's 35,000 words in the book. So, you know, hopefully I explain that. But one of the conclusions that I made there that I've probably written about in other books is this idea that we cannot parent to have our needs met. Mm, yep. So yep. if you're a mom and you had a critical mom and so you were terrified to fail because you were treated badly you know, you were shamed perhaps, and you didn't feel hope, you are preventing that experience for your children. That's coming out of your parent, I would almost say brokenness, and it's not, you're not gonna do well for your kids. Mm -hmm. If you have, maybe you wanted to be a ballerina and you weren't able to be a ballerina because your family didn't support that, maybe there wasn't money, your, your community didn't have children's ballet, and now you have a little daughter who's a ballerina and she's excited, but your stress that she love it Mm -hmm, mm because you weren't able to is actually putting her in a really, really bad spot. So we Mm -hmm. cannot meet our needs or yeah, we cannot meet our needs. 
<laughs> through the way that our children behave. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. My, my mom and I actually are releasing a book next week um, on our mother and daughter relationship. I was raised by a single mom. And so we actually break down and give support to mothers and daughters in their relationships. And one of the things we talk about is the expectation and how for moms, sometimes if they're, they had a goal and a dream in their life and that wasn't met and how that, comp- that goes down to the daughter. Yeah. And expectations truly are a foundation for disappointment, in my opinion. And yeah. so... Absolutely. It's, you know, we talk exactly about that. Good, of it's good. That's really tough in, in those relationships and making sure that, like you said, we're not projecting our hurts, our traumas, our disappointments, our expectations onto our kids because they're completely different than who we are. Amen. So how does a mom know if they're doing that? I think it, you have to be, so I, because I'm a social worker, super into self-reflection right. all That's of the time, was, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And you have to be able to read the room, read your kids. Right. And if you see that when you're talking to them about an opportunity, they're kind of, you know, yeah. closing up a little bit and, oh, okay, mom. Yeah. It's like, okay, I need my clues here. And reflecting on yourself of, is this a me dream or is this a them dream? Amen. Amen. I just, I wanted to put you on the spot and ask that because the, <laughs> you know, cause I think moms who listen, go, yeah, I don't want to do it, but I know I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. So slow down. Yeah. You know, admit it and don't admit it and put yourself in a horrible spot. Pray, Mm -hmm. you know, Father God, reveal the root. Yep. You know, figure out why you're doing it. it. Yeah. Equip me to, you know, love well. If your children are old enough and they trust you and you trust them, I think you tell them the goal you have. Mm -hmm. Because what kids tell me is they'll say to the mom, did you go to another, did did you go to mommy school? You know, because you're trying out another new idea, you know, right? That's or, so funny. Or they'll say, did you read another book by Dr. Kathy? You know, and so what happens is, you know, the parent has the rule book and kids, no, but parenting ha- is has a history and it's public, mm-hmm. right? So when you're trying to change, praise God that you want to humble yourself yep. and you're willing to work yep. on something, but the kids don't know. Now they feel confused because now you've changed and now they don't know how to change. If your kids are old enough, I think you have a conversation and you say, you know, Bethany, I've realized that I've put some of my hopes and dreams on your shoulders and that's not wise. I need to honor who God's created you to be and the hopes that you have for your summer and how you're going to spend your spare time. So I just want you to know, I'm really sorry if you have felt pushed and we're going to have a conversation again Mm -hmm. about soccer and the Red Cross class on babysitting and whether or not you want to go to grandma's every other weekend. Mm -hmm. You just Mm -hmm. bravely put it out there and don't, don't let the kids take advantage of that. But I think that we gain authority when we invite them into the situation. Again, if they're old enough to understand where we're coming from. Yeah. And I think that goes back to that the argument that I hear from a few different people of, do you apologize to your kids? Do you not apologize mm. to your kids? And I think the apology is this one of the strongest levels of humility that we Absolutely. have as people. And so being able to show them what that looks like is doing more good for them than mm. even yourself in, yeah, in doing that yeah. and being able to sit and have those conversations. But one of the things that I think you have to have in a family to even really get to that, those moments of self-reflection, those moments of humility is... Christ and having this level and knowledge and relationship with the Bible, because God will be very quick to show you and help you reveal those things. So I'd love to hear from you just of, of what does Christ and what does the church look like in our families? And even that hot, <laughs> hot button topic, do you force your kids to go to church? Don't ask me that. <laughs> uh, you're so funny. Wait a 
laugh right after that question. Aren't, it's aren't a we, hard question. Did we run out of time? No, I, I'm we're sure good. People are we're bored. Good. Um, okay. Uh, no, I, I love your heart. Um, you know, I, I would say before I answer that question, I will answer it. Um, when do we talk of Christ? When do we read the Bible? Do we is the Bible the Sunday morning book? And it's in the backseat of the car until then. You know, we just mm-hmm. keep it in the car because we don't use it. Yeah. Do they see us have devotions? I was at an event a while back, and I was challenging parents to demonstrate to their kids that they were seeking wisdom. Like, kids have an authority problem today. And so if we don't demonstrate that we're seeking authority, and, and we're older, right, then why would they think they need authority? And if we say God matters, do they see us dig into God's word, do they hear us really pour our hearts mm-hmm. out in prayer? And I had a dad begin to cry when he realized, and his wife was there too, and they both realized that they were in the scripture when their kids were in bed. And their kids never saw them mm. dig into scripture as, as a couple devotional. And so after they heard me speak, they started their couple's devotional at the dining room table while their children were still awake so that their kids could see that mom and dad were opening the Bible together and praying together and studying the word. So I think one of the things that makes the house Christ-centered and God-honoring is that prayer, worship, giving, serving, studying scripture, memorizing, being devoted to the word, those kinds of things happen not just on Wednesdays and Sundays. Mm-hmm. And that means we take time, and that's that's appropriate. So I would, I would put that out there. You know, it depends on the family. It certainly depends on the spiritual maturity of the parents. But we can learn together. Yeah. We don't have to be afraid that we don't know enough. In fact, I've always had a dream of writing a... I won't do this, but somebody <laughs> needs to write, and it's probably been written, a book for moms of the classic Bible stories that children learn in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Right? So children learn these stories, mm-hmm. coat of many colors. And there was this guy and a fish, you know? <laughs> And, you know, and they're, they're in the car ride and dad, did you know that there was this fish and it swallowed this guy and then it spit him up? And the mom are like, what are you talking about? You know, because moms and dads don't like to look foolish or stupid in mm-hmm, front of their kids. Mm-hmm. So, but that's okay. Let them teach you. Because if you're in church because you want your kids raised in church, and but you're kind of behind, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, we're not grading you. You're not going to flunk Sunday school. <laughs> so we can learn along with our kids. I think mm-hmm. that's really, really important. As far as, you know, do we make our kids go to church? Again, my perspective, yes. I think if you make them go to school, hmm. you make them go to church. I mean, I, I would put, you know, attending church up there as as a very, very important thing. Now, I'm hesitating because it's not attending church that saves us. We all know mm-hmm. that. I hope you know that, who are listening. It's a relationship with Christ and a belief in the God of the Bible. It's the belonging to a body. It's the fellowship of the saved. It's the worship as a collective group. It's accountability with the pastor and perhaps a leader of a small group or the choir master who knows you because you're in the choir. It's a place where the children meet other people who have the same values. And now they they rise up and they realize that, Daddy, you're not weird that we're doing this. Other people do this. So... So I do, I do believe church matters, and I think if you, quote-unquote, make them go to school and you make them go to the piano lesson, you make them show up for soccer practice, if you say that the things of God matter to your family, mm. then they matter. Now, I would further say that if your children are fighting, you better investigate why. Mm-hmm. My preference would be that everyone in your family wants to go every week because the pastor preaches a message that matters. You're known there and you feel safe there and you enjoy the worship style and the children have a chance to be with their peers and they do a great craft if that's a part of your program and they can't wait for VBS if your church does it. 
I would say respectfully that if you have a preteen, teen, younger kid, where Saturday night is very difficult because they're already talking about, I don't want to go tomorrow. It's just, it's so boring. Mm. I would say with respect that if that's a consistent message and if they can provide you evidence, please go investigate. Sit with your child in the third grade class. Have the courage to call the children's director, the children's pastor. Now, I've met children's pastors here in Minnesota just are amazing. Oh, my goodness, the way they love each other, and I know they love their kids. I was just in an event where I heard about the generosity of the giving of your children here mm-hmm. oh to gosh. the missions program. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of good things going on here. We're not perfect at what we do. I don't envy a family trying to find one church that everybody in the family likes <laughs> yeah. because you might like the youth pastor and not the children's director. You might like the senior pastor, but not the associate. You know, I, I go on and on. But bottom line, if the things of the Lord matter to you, they matter. And you don't have a choice. We go as a family. Now, children will tell me that it's terribly difficult if their dad goes and sleeps during the sermon. Hmm. Or yeah. if they, mom and dad, argue on the way to church. So I don't say this lightly, but if you want them raised up in the nurture of the Lord, then let's make sure that we're humbling ourselves and that we're working on the stuff that we need to work on so that the, there's less hypocrisy. That doesn't mm-hmm. do anybody any good. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. It's I hard. love that perspective. I don't know why I feel like I've never heard that perspective of if, well, if they go to school, if they go to all these things that are important to you that they attend, then they yeah. should be going to church. Yeah. Because there's the argument on the challenging side of, well, if they're really going to build in their faith, it needs to be their decision. Well, yes, eventually, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But how much training have they had mm-hmm. so that they can make that personal ownership of faith? So again, you know, if, you, if you've got an 18 year old, you know, and she's like, well, I'm an adult now, well, that's true legally if you look that word up in a dictionary. However, you don't behave like you're an adult <laughs> and you live mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. and we're paying your bills and yada, yada, yada. Now, mm-hmm. a, a, mom and, a mom can say that who has parented that way historically mm-hmm. with credibility, right? So um, when you're on your own, you'll have decisions to make. I would hope you would decide that church nurtures you and church is your belonging and church mm-hmm. is where you find your people. Church is where you can quickly serve and find out who lives in your community, who you would have something in common with. So we want you to see the value of church. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't save you. And there's no Bible verse that says you must go to church every Sunday. We go because our values in our family, mm-hmm. Christ first, the things of God matter. Mm-hmm. And this is one way that we demonstrate that to each other. Yeah. And I really, I just love that perspective of figure out the why. It goes back to always yeah, figuring out the why. It, the why my husband the why. jokes with me all the time whenever I don't want to go to church. He goes, anytime you don't want to go to church, that's when you need to go to church the most. <laughs> yeah. He always says that and pulls yeah. that out of me. Every time I'm like, oh, I'm too tired. We had a late night or something like yeah. that. And he's right. Every time I'm there by the end of worship, I'm crying or something yeah. like that. And I think that's true with kids. If they don't want to go to church, there's a reason. And it, is there something going on in their personal life? Is there a sleepover they're mad about they can't go to because they got to go to church in the morning. And what if there's conviction of the Holy Spirit? Right. 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 So they're getting convicted about sin and they don't want to go to church because conviction is even louder, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, at church. And yeah, so I think, I think that's, I think that's important to consider. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am pretty sure we could talk about this stuff for hours. I (laughs) just sincerely appreciate your insight into this and just your willingness to share your passion and share your heart about, because this stuff is really hard 
because yeah. there's so many different views and so many different views in the church as well yes. of how to parent and what to do and what church looks like, what identity in Christ sometimes even looks like. And so I just really appreciate you taking the time to sit with us. And as we're wrapping up, is there any final thoughts that you are just like, oh, I really want to say this or leave the parents or not even, even the non-parents, the teachers, anybody yeah. listening with before we go? You know, I thanks for that opportunity. So let's come back to that issue, and this is what I'm going to say. We pray, read the Bible, memorize Scripture, give, um, serve, do communion, go to church, not to check anything off a list, not because these are religious rituals or religious rules. We do all of those things because of our relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. The thing that is different about us is our religion is a relationship mm -hmm. with a living mm -hmm. Lord, Savior, Lord, King, Master, best friend. So for us to raise up a generation who wants to pray, who wants to worship, who wants to give, who wants to serve, who wants to attend, who wants to sit in the front row, because it's about their relationship with their best friend. Mm. We raise up, you're 17 month old. You start to talk mm -hmm. to, I don't know, girl or boy? Boy. You start to talk to him about how much Jesus loves him and how much we want you to love him back. In my church in Fort Worth, Texas, where I live, we are taught to not say amen at the end of our first prayer. Prayer in our church is defined as a long conversation on a long journey with your best friend. Mm. So we pray in the morning and we don't say amen. His prayer is biblically, an ongoing forever conversation. So I'll start my second prayer of the day. You know, I'm praying constantly, but if I pray mm -hmm. out loud, I'll sometimes say, hello, God, it's me again. Mm -hmm. And that's not disrespectful. I know God's on the throne. I, I have him in proper authority. He is best friend. He is the friend of, of the Christian, mm -hmm. right? The Christ follower. And so when, when I began, and I've been a believer a long time, when I began to treat each of these disciplines, so you shouldn't have to be disciplined to do them. They shouldn't be disciplines. Hmm. They should be a relational response to the hmm. king of the universe who created you when he didn't have to. Hmm. If we could raise up a generation who sees it as relational activities and not religious mandates, mm -hmm. it could change everything. Mm -hmm. Man, I hope that's not too much for your audience here at the end. No, that's good. It's something I, I hope that they'll think about. Yeah. Just what does it look like to have Jesus and just a consistent part of your life every day? Yeah. Just yeah. consistent. Always there. Any frustrating parent moment, you say, Lord, I need him. I need help. I yes. need peace. Yeah. I need grace right now. And what does that look like? Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. for them to hear you say that. Mm -hmm. And then for them to watch you wait for an answer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. acknowledge God when you got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. See, I really think we could just keep going for forever, but <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. And just again, thank you so much for, My pleasure. for joining. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of E to the Power of Three. We were honored to hear from Kathy Cook on supporting children and families. Learn more about Kathy and check out her books, podcasts, and other resources at CelebrateKids.com or by following Celebrate Kids, Inc. on social media. You can also learn more about Bridging the Gap at MNBTG.org by downloading the new Bridging the Gap app through your app store or by following MNBTG on social media. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time on E to the Power of Three.